Our Bible passage is from John 14, 1 to 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, thanks, Gabe, and uh, everyone who has served uh, in the worship service today. Glad to be with you in person or uh, virtually online. Um, I'd like to start a new uh, message series uh, today on the topic of comfort, comfort, especially uh, divine comfort that, that comes from God. And base it from the uh, verses in the 14th chapter of John. I'm not sure exactly how many messages I'll end up giving, but I hope that in our uh, current frightening health climate, um, our disturbing socio-cultural climate, and well, our climatic climate, <laughs> as uh, Matthew prayed about in the, in the beginning, uh, we can find the words of Jesus uh, to, to his troubled disciples, both helpful and uh, fortifying. Um, my title, uh, To the Comfort of Your Home, uh, is a little kooky, I admit. Uh, usually the phrase uh, we hear is uh, from the comfort of your home. Or um, you may see like an advertisement in the comfort of your home. You can earn $5,000 a month or something to that effect. Um, because Jesus talks about preparing his father's house for his disciples, I thought by uh, changing the preposition, right, that, let's say to the comfort of your home, um, it would show a sense of direction in terms of where we're going or, or kind of the trajectory of our journey. Um, as well as a, a looking ahead in time uh, to the culmination of that effort. So you have not only a, like a directional uh, indication, but also kind of a, a progression, a, a movement in time. Uh, when we find ourselves uh, in a situation that is troubling, uh, comfort uh, can be hard to come by. Or at best, the comfort feels so kind of temporary. We naturally desire uh, to gain relief from painful situations or uh, receive succor in times of emotional distress. Uh, people look to, I think, different sources of comfort in their hard times. Uh, some seek it in an enjoyable activity. Uh, others find comfort in certain words or expressions of affection. Uh, still others, right, uh, find comfort in food or substances that can, uh, is it increasing the uh, dopamine chemistry in, in the brain? But there are times I think that we uh, are inconsolable. Nothing helps. The grief, the affliction, or the dread is just uh, too much. Nothing seems to really comfort us. I think the context of chapter 14 could have been one of those situations. 
Uh, we're essentially eavesdropping smack in the middle of the uh, final extended discourse of Jesus before he will be shortly arrested, tried, and executed. Uh, Jesus de Jesus's departure from the world um, is imminent, and it will entail the horror of suffering on the cross. Everything and everyone around him will come crashing down. Yet Jesus is the one who is comforting the disciples. He should be comforted by them, but he is doing the comforting. He knows that they are anticipating and somehow feeling in their bones that major troubles await them. Uh, they have a sense of unease, uncertainty about not only what will happen to their Lord, but what will happen to them. So he ends up speaking words of assurance and encouragement. Don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. When I read that, I, I have to question, how can he say that with any measure of confidence, you know, especially with the dark storm clouds gathering around him? He tells his disciples, trust in God, trust also in me. Um, I can't help wondering, is he just putting uh, a positive spin on dire circumstances, looking for uh, a silver lining, you know, stiff upper lip and all? Uh, I think, though, he's serious, sincerely and seriously encouraging them to trust the Father despite the perils of the situation. So for the remainder of the sermon, um, and then I'd like to try to offer some rationale uh, for why I think Jesus is really able to provide true comfort uh, to his fearful followers and to us, us as well. Okay, so the first reason uh, I want to say is that uh, Jesus knows the final outcome. He knows the final outcome better than any uh, of us do. Right? He knows a final outcome. And it's different than I think the disciples felt, maybe we think typically. Um, another way to say that Jesus has insider uh, information that uh, the current crisis that's going on is not the last or final conclusion. Even though his life is in grave danger, even though Judas Iscariot will shortly bring an armed guard to arrest him, even though he'll be seized, flogged, and humiliated, even though the disciples will all run away in fear and be scattered, even though Jesus will die an excruciating death and, and spiritually desolate death, even though all may seem lost, this is not the real finale. Uh, Jesus possesses a higher source of information and truth. And so this is not the end of the story. This is not the final chapter. Have you ever uh, like read an adventure book, an exciting book with a lot of you know tw plot twists and all that to a, like a young child? Uh, sometimes as you're reading, they may like get like if they're wrapped with attention, they may fear that something bad will befall the protagonist. Uh, but you, as the reader, you're, uh, you may have read, you finished the story before, and so you know how things turn out. You know that the hero or the heroine um, outlives the danger. Uh, so you can reassure them, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Right? Um, it's like in The Princess Bride, the movie, right, where uh, grandfather Peter Falk is reading the book to really cute, you know, Fred Savage uh, and... Um, they're in this really like scary uh, scene where these huge shrieking eels right, 
about to take a huge bite out of uh, the princess. And, um, you know, suddenly uh, it pans to the conversation between the grandpa and grandson. Um, and like, he's worried, he looks at the little boy and says, she doesn't get eaten right, by the eels at this time. And he's like, what? And uh, the eel doesn't get her. I'm explaining it to you because you look nervous. I wasn't nervous. Maybe I was a little bit concerned, but that's not the same thing. Uh, and the grandpa says, we can stop uh, now if you want. And the grandson says, no, you can read a little bit more if you want. So <laughs> it's kind of really a cute exchange between the power of knowledge, the power of anticipation, the power of writing. Anyway, um, Jesus has already read the last parts of our story and of the story of the world. You could say he even helped write uh, the most uh, important part. So he has knowledge of the end, as it really will be. Jesus knows that the Father is in control. He knows there's more in store. There's a destiny beyond the one we can see now. Uh, there is a greater and higher unseen reality. Dire situations, hopeless dilemmas, insoluble conflicts. We need not be troubled to the point of despair or debilitation. So I want to offer that and I'll submit that as one reason why Jesus can authentically comfort his followers with a trust in God, trust also in me. Because these are not empty words. They are not his promises are real. In fact, they are more substantive than the circumstances that were engulfing them. Engulfing them. Jesus knows that his death will not be the end. Instead, it'll be a portal, if you will, for Jesus to go on and demonstrate a new world, a new existence, and a new life for the disciples that will never end. Okay, that brings me to a second reason right, that I want to share. I believe it undergirds the efficacy of Jesus's comforting efforts. And it relates directly back to this first part that Jesus knows the end of the real end of the story. And what, and what that's, the end of the story is, according to Jesus, is that uh, we will be in residence in the eternal Father's house. We will reside, we will have a home uh, with the Father, with the Father God. Uh, indeed, a never-ending communion with the Father made possible by the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would uh, undergo. So in effect, Jesus guarantees his disciples that their true home awaits them, that there is a destiny uh, beyond the grave, or more, more precisely, there's a destination um, and I think that must have brought at least some comfort to them. Yeah. The thought of a home, a place where you can find rest, that you can go back to. Yeah, that's, a, I think, a, a big experience, a blessed you know, knowledge or, or, uh, to, to have in mind, especially if you're a discouraged and, and weary traveler, beset by the elements. The uh, security of a home is a very welcome uh, prospect. Uh, Jesus not only informs them that such a glorious and commodious place exists, but that he is going there to actually complete the preparations. Not only that, uh, but he promises that their reservations are guaranteed. And no matter the hardship, no matter the heartache, 
they would have to endure Jesus's father's house uh, awaited them. Um, I don't know if you've traveled extensively or if you've had a bad travel experience, but knowing that you have a place to you know, lay your, your tired head, fatigued body down, right, a clean, safe place, I mean, that, that makes, I guess, travel, you know, you, you just want to get home, right? Even if it, was, you know, it took a long time, even though it's difficult, if you, you have that in mind, it's so helpful. Um, so my family is like, want to do a quick jaunt up to up to Maine this coming week and uh, Simone and I were doing some of the preparations and you know hotels.com is pretty I think pretty reliable and stuff but um, Mona had done something through Expedia and so we were kind of trying to figure out what the best because you know so some of it was pricey some of it was kind of we weren't sure what, what the best accommodation was and stuff anyway we found out that there was this one hotel up in we're going to up to Bar Harbor that doesn't use third party uh, kind of you know, reservations. And so we found the number, we called directly. And so Mona booked a, a, a good place that was cheaper and, and, and I wouldn't have to sleep on the floor. So I was very supportive of, of that choice. But, you know, we had these reservations that you can cancel, you know, for free and stuff. So I was like all like stressed out because I asked Mona, did they send you an email confirming it? Are we sure we have that other place? Because I don't want to look up this one and then end up not having them. You know, I didn't want to you know, go through that kind of stress and stuff like that. So I kept bugging her for like two days and, and bothering her. And then finally she like sent me, here is the email <laughs> confirmation. And then I was able to cancel the six other ones that we made. Uh, but you know, this is all in view of this desire to like make sure you have a place to stay. You won't be sleeping in the car or, you know, up a tree or something like that. The security, the comfort of home. But I think I want to say a little bit more that it's more than this kind of security and the certainty that there's a, a final resting place that brings comfort uh, to the hearts of the disciples and to our hearts today. I, I want us to kind of wrap our minds around or hearts around this idea of a true home. Right? My real home, um, the Father's house. I think that's a more visceral and more existential kind of uh, the concept. It's more than just like a, a felicitous dream of a heavenly mansion. Um, this concept, this idea of a home that you know we are looking for, that, that we know about, that somehow is in our experiential memory, but not really, like we can't, we, we have this idea of what a, a beautiful home, a, a blessed home, a home experience is like, but when we look back at what we experience, you know, it's not really that. And we never really had that, but we know it. It's kind of, again, inside of us. And we've been looking for it sometimes all our lives. And I, I think that that kind of that proclivity is actually kind of endemic to the uh, human condition in some form or another. We use very familiar phrases like home sweet home, right? We, we all know what that means. We're like, yeah, I know I want that. And I had that. But then if you like go back to when you were five or when you were 13 or when even now, it's, it's home bitter home, right? It's like there's a lot of bad memories. There's a lot of junk. There's a lot of dysfunctionality in, in most homes, mine, mine included, right? But we have this somehow innate or almost like natural understanding when someone says home sweet home you sigh this very content sigh because you 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 know what they're saying or there's no place like home right 
for the holidays. There's no place like yeah, that, that. That line or a man's house, a man's home, a woman's home is, is, is his castle, her castle, uh, we should say. I mean, that, that really resonates. Like, there's like a universality to that. And this is true, like I said, even if you've never lived in a Downton Abbey or had a great family or you know, never, never really liked your living arrangements ever, We've all longed for a home where love and joy and abundance abide. And we all have some sense of what it looks like, feels like. The, de the details might differ, but the sentiment, I think, is pretty uh, consistent, universal. So it might be like a, a whiff of a turkey roast. Just a, mm, not home sweet home, right? Thanksgiving, or the sound of a cracking fireplace, two children chasing each other, other up the stairs, or granddad sitting in his recliner with his newspaper that, that gives us a sense of homesickness, right? And you may never have had turkey or enjoyed turkey in your life. You may never had a grandfather who sat in a recliner. Like the only memory of running upstairs that I had was when I crashed into my sister and broke teeth. You know, those, those, that's not home sweet home. This is like very bad experiences. And yet I long for it. I go, I wish I could go back to that time or experience that or find that uh, time. So these glimpses of this life that we feel, maybe you see it, maybe you experienced it, uh, or you can see it on TV, you, you see a situation on, 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 in a movie, um, or it's just kind of in your mind's eye, it seems so familiar. And there is this ineluctable draw, drawing to it, a longing, a pursuit, a hope that one day such a future uh, will be mine. Uh, to me, this is actually partially why Jesus' description of his father's house is so winsome, it's so comforting. It's what my heart has been searching for all along. So it's more than about the afterlife, it's an answer to this life, to the question that I've been asking seemingly uh, forever. C.S. Lewis, right, is probably um, the most articulate voice in this regard. In books like Mere Christianity, uh, Pilgrim's Regress, and especially uh, in The Weight of Glory, that book, he writes about something called uh, Senzucht, S-E-N-S-U-C-H-T. It's a German word translated as longing, as yearning for something inexpressible. Right? So you, you know it in the gut, but you can't really describe it. Right? If someone goes, tell me exactly what that is, you just kind of dance around and you kind of like do what you can, but it doesn't, you can't really pinpoint it. Right? And so, he, he, you know, the, the list that I gave, this is um, his list. Uh, uh, it's uh, this, that unnameable something, uh, desire for which uh, pierces us like a, a rapier uh, at the smell of a bonfire, the sound of wild ducks flying overhead, the title of the well at the world's end, the opening lines of Kublai Khan, the morning cobwebs in late summer, or the noise of falling waves. I mean, those are the things that remind him of this home, right? Um, and so, you know, Lewis writes that we have this desire, but we can't really, like, precisely describe it. And so, it's a desire for a, our own far off countries. Like, that's where I want to be. That's my dream. That's my goal. So we end up labeling it nostalgia or romanticism, 
adolescence, even beauty. Um, and he says our experience, uh, it, it gives us a desire for something that we've never actually experienced, but it, our experience constantly suggests it, right? Um, even though it's inescapable, it, even though it's impossible to pinpoint, to pinpoint, it's inescapable. And it's the memories of certain moments in the past, we think that's it. Oh, I want to go back to, you know, when I had, you know, good friends in, in high school or something. I want to go back to college when, you know, I really wanted to learn, you know, that, that kind of thing. But you, you really kind of give thought to it and go back to that. And, but that wasn't quite it. It was even then you felt a desire for something different from what you are looking back at and saying that was so great. When you were at that moment, it wasn't so great. It was pushing you, it was hinting at something so great. And so it's that something so great that has kind of haunted us, if you will, the whole time. They're just reminders. Again, C.S. Lewis, only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. Right. So, so let me try to explain Sensukt as nostalgia for the future. Right? Usually nostalgia is something we look back and go, I wish I could go back. But it's something like, I wish I could go forward. I wish I could find. I know what kind of it is, and I've been feeling it all my life, um, but I haven't quite gotten there. So it's a yearning, it's a longing. And I want to say that it points us to the heavenly home for which we were uh, created. Okay, last C.S. Lewis quote, if I could have the slide um, from The Weight of Glory. Apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door, which we have always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits, and also the healing of that old so uh, I don't know, uh, to me, I see kind of a, a nexus here between what he's talking about, the sensukt, and um, you know, what Jesus says to the disciples, that not only is there a heavenly home, but it's the home that you've been <laughs> trying to find you know, uh, your whole life. Um, a divine home where not only will we be welcome, uh, but that Actually, we've been welcome there all along. That's the sense of the comfort of the Father's house that John 14 provides. Okay, let me get then uh, to uh, our third and last reason for the powerful comfort that Jesus gives. Just to review, uh, I kind of said it this way. Jesus knows the end. He knows the end. Okay, and, but by end, I mean the aim, the objective, the conclusion, the consummation, right? He knows the end of the story. We talked about that, right? We've talked about, he, he has read the book, he's written the book. And so he knows that even though we don't see how this is gonna happen, he's gonna make it work. He knows how it ends, the story, our lives, history. And we've talked about yearning, right? It's the end of this, uh, Thing, our search, our, our, our 
uh, he actually talks about it as a, um, a physical thing, right? It's a pang, an actual kind of like sensation that, that we feel like um, physically as, as we go through life. But the yearning for our, our true home, right? And that is, he knows where that place is. And so that gives us our, our third point, uh, how to get there, the way. He knows the end of the way. And of course, I'm gonna, not too much, but expand this idea, this, what, this, what I mean by way. It's not just a kind of a GPS directions, right? It's not just the means of getting there, right? Like the, the key, the, the answer um, is what really drives home the comfort, which makes the comfort real uh, to the disciples. So Jesus not only knows what eternity looks like, but he knows how to get there. Uh, he knows the way. You know, the, the disciples and probably us, we're thinking of, of it as a pathway or access, or at least uh, Thomas was in verse 5. And it certainly is. I'm not denying that. Uh, Jesus paved the way to God through his atonement. He opened the door through the impenetrably heavy veil, which separated God and humanity. He made a new and living way, and according to the writer of Hebrews. So in that sense, uh, Jesus is the ultimate guide and authority in uh, ushering us uh, to the Father's house, to the Father's uh, presence. And so we should listen carefully and uh, closely uh, to him. If someone is leading you, if someone knows how to get to where you want to get to, you better follow them. You know, if you're caravanning with them, you know, make sure you make lane changes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, read a, uh, a story about a pastor who climbs um, 14,000 feet peaks in uh, Colorado. He's done several with his family and um, you know, as he gets older, he finds it like he can't lead the, the group uh, as readily as before. Uh, it gets harder for me to make these climbs. My kids are always uh, up ahead. So uh, I'll say, look down the trail and tell me if there's a better way to go. And they'll yell down, go farther to the west, circle around this knoll. Um, so because they have a higher perspective, because they know they've seen, they've, they're able to, to give guidance right, to, the, to the stragglers. Their perspective is helpful, and if the, if he follows their directions, um, they can see that where, where they need to go. And that's kind of what following Christ. That's what uh, you know, adhering to the scriptures. That that that's what we mean. It it, it tell it, it sees the our lives. It sees the world. It sees where God wants us to go better than than maybe our present perception. So if Jesus knows the way to you know, follow him, that, that's, that's key. Um, so I've been trying to, you know, when we were able to take some, a few months off, Mona and I did a lot of hiking in national parks. And like considering what happened like a year or two later now during the pandemic where everyone is flocking to, to the parks because of, of the, the health and, and you know, the beauty of the outdoors and all that. But, I'm, I'm glad we got to do a number one, a number of them. And um, even locally, there's a lot of, you know, good parks in Jersey and, 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 uh, and New York. Um, 
you know, in near kind of West Point, there's a new, a new one that I found that um, uh, I've really, I've gone like three or four times. And it's a, one of the Storm King trails, you know, Storm King Mountain. Um, it, it's, it's this one trail that um, I, I really like it because it has a, a very steep element. So it really works you out, but it's kind of, uh, it's not, it's maybe like 15% of the entire trail, but it's very steep. So it like, it's like intensive, but once you pass that, once you get over that, it's actually kind of flat or downhill the rest of the way, right? So um, it, it, and it doesn't kind of like, it's not up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's not like this really steep downhill. And I say all this because, you know, Mona and I, when we went on uh, our, our, our national parks trip, we love this one particular trail in, 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 uh, in Glacier National Park in Montana. And um, it was the opposite. It was a lot of kind of gradual, you know, very nice vistas, slow uphill kind of stuff for like, it was, a, it was a long trail, it was like 10 miles. And so I think we did like, you know, six hours of this kind of, you know, very nice, easier incline, right? And then we got kind of to the peak and then it was a very short, like two miles of steep downhill. And turned out that Mona didn't handle uphill much better than downhill, right? Was it the shoes or was, <laughs> was it the, the knees? I don't know, whatever. And so I was all excited, man, we're just gonna like book downhill and we're just gonna get to, we're taking the shuttle and we're so excited uh, about all that. But it took us <laughs> almost like longer to go to two last miles downhill than, than the eight miles uphill because uh, you know of that. And we'll tell you, we've told you stories about some of the weird ways <laughs> we tried to navigate that. Like you know, Mona walked backwards for a while <laughs> and, and stuff like that. I was kind of steering her like left, left and that, that kind of thing. Um, anyway, so Storm King is the opposite. So I was trying to persuade her to go, and so I was telling her all about it, and I had to kind of be very precise about what, what we're gonna do. And, and so she agreed. And because I had prior knowledge of it, I knew like, okay, just around that mountain. And these are like, you know, slippery rocks and come on, you know, just 10 more minutes and then we're gonna be on the flat downhill and stuff. So yeah, because I knew the way, cause I'd been there three or four times before, um, I was able to kind of, you know, guide her quote unquote. Uh, to a uh, pleasant experience, I think, uh, overall. Uh, that, and, and, and that's, you know, I think hiking, I already told you, I think hiking is a great metaphor for Christian life because it's hard at times, it's easy at times, um, you know, it's dangerous at times. You got you to gotta keep going. Sometimes you got to concentrate on the trail. Other times you get to look at the, the beautiful sights. And that's what Christian life is. Sometimes it's super hard, sometimes it's super easy. Sometimes, you know, you got to look at exactly step by step, you know, uh, inch by inch what you're doing. Other times you get to like look around and really get, you know, uplifted by, by the blessings that, that God gives. Um, and so, uh, you know, the way to me is, is, is analogous to this kind of uh, trail uh, way, uh, trail that uh, description that I'm, illustration that I'm giving. But like the father's house metaphor, the way to the place, I think, involves more than just the means of arriving, arriving there. Uh, Jesus declares to, in response to Thomas that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. In other words, the way to God 
is actually a person. It's not a, 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 a you know a hiking word trail. It's not an object. It's not a a certain like situation in life. It's not wealth, right? It's not achievement or uh, success. Um, it it's not a state of being or anything else. It's a love relationship uh, with the one who gave everything for us. In, in, in that sense, to me, it also answers this, you know, persistent and pervasive, pervasive enigma. How do I do this? How am I getting there? What's the best practice? What's the, and we're looking for, what do they call it? Shortcuts or cheats, right? Like, how can I get from here to where I want to go? And I think the biblical answer is that it's not how you get there per se, it's who's, who you're going with, right? Who's on the journey with you, right? We don't have to conquer life through education or wealth or achievement. We just need to trust in Jesus Christ to be fully in relationship with the one that has come to us to redeem us, to call us and to take us home, take us to the home he has prepared where all of our sorrows, all of our struggles, all of our uh, yeah, struggles can come to an end where we can find rest. Yeah, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, um, I'm going to continue on, like I said in John 14, and there's more of that uh, comfort of presence, I think, in the next uh, set of verses. So we'll try to elaborate more next uh, time. Yeah, why don't we bow in prayer? Give you some time of reflection. Uh, do not be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus says. Is there that comfort? Uh, how can we be confident? How can Jesus be confident? Let's pray. <clears throat>